Welcome to NARAL's The Morning After. Each Thursday, our podcast brings you the latest on reproductive health care, progressive politics, and the fight to keep abortion safe and legal. NARAL's The Morning After is a production of NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ProChoiceOH. Enjoy the show! Hi, I'm Gabe. Hi, I'm Kelly Copeland. Hey, we're in your office. I know, it's so convenient. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Uh, What do you think about the debate? I thought it was an election miracle. (laughs) A question was asked straightforward about abortion access and answered at the first debate. It's the stuff of dreams. Yes. Uh, Let's play the audio now of the exchange. Yes, uh, the opening on the U.S. Supreme Court will likely be filled by a conservative. This could lead to decisions that could allow states to further restrict or even outlaw abortion. In recent years, half of Ohio's clinics have closed, and soon um, maybe the only clinic left in the Dayton area may face closure. As governor, what steps would you take to restrict or expand women's access to abortion? And uh, please tell us whether you would sign or veto a heartbeat bill. I'm going to take the first part of your question first. Judge Kavanaugh, right now, the allegations against him are serious. Sexual assault is a crime. This needs to be fully investigated. Uh, And that Professor Ford has the courage to come forward is something that we should commend, and she should not have to be attacked for doing so. Women should not have to be attacked for coming forward to tell their stories. There's broader issues here of equality of men and women in our society, and they go to things like rooting out sexual harassment in the workplace. That matters. That needs to be done. It matters that we have equal pay for equal work. And it matters, to your question, Laura, that a woman's right to choose, a woman's right to make her own personal health decisions should be protected in Ohio. I am for a woman's right to choose. Mike DeWine is against it. That's the difference between us. I will veto a heartbeat bill. He has said he will sign it. That's a fundamental difference between us. But let me also say my running mate, Betty Sutton, has been a leader and a courageous voice on these issues for years. I admire her for that. And she's a full partner with me in the campaign and will be a full partner with me in the State House come January 2019. But men have to deal with these issues as well. We have a responsibility to deal with other men and make sure they get it, they understand it, and that they're working to embrace change. And finally, I'll just say this. My wife and I have twins. They're a boy and a girl. Every single day, we've expected that our daughter should have the very same opportunities as our son, the very same, and nothing should hold our daughters back. Thank you, sir. Mr. DeWine. I am pro-life. I believe that government exists to protect the most vulnerable people. That includes the unborn as well as the born. I think for any woman in a troubled pregnancy, we have to work with her, we have to help her, we have to give her any assistance that we can. If you look at what we put forward, John Houston and I have put forward, and you can go and see all our platforms, what we're, we're going to do, what our vision is for the state, if you go on MikeDeWine.com, it's there. But we have put real emphasis on early childhood development. But early childhood development means before that child is, is born. We are going to have the most energetic, most focused outreach to pregnant women who are growing up, who are there in very difficult circumstances, first-time moms, sometimes don't have money, don't, 
are, are in poverty, maybe not getting the medical care that they should, we're going to reach out to them and we're going to help them. And it's going to be a major initiative. In regard to Kavanaugh, of course, of course, this has to be aired. These allegations are serious and they have to be looked at and I trust that they are going to be looked at by the Judiciary Committee. Mr. Cordray, 30 seconds if you so desire. Your position on abortion is extreme, Mike. You won't even make an exception for rape or incest, not even for rape or incest. And I noticed that you were willing in the primary to answer the question about the heartbeat bill and said that you would sign it. But now that you're asked point blank tonight, you don't seem to want to answer that question. So I'll give you the last 10 seconds of my time and let you answer that, yes or no. I will sign the bill. I've said that many times. Of course, you know that, Richard. So now you know why we endorsed Rich Cordray and his running mate, Betty Sutton. Um, the, the difference between his answer um, and that of his opponent, Mike DeWine, I think really shows not just where they are on the issue of abortion, but on the broader issue of equality and fairness and access to opportunity throughout life. Right. I, I was so impressed by Rich when he started by, you know, talking about what's going on at the Supreme Court, um, acknowledging that there is a vacancy there that could really fundamentally change the landscape of abortion access in this country yeah. for generations. Um, and that, you know, in that um, Dr. Um, Christine Blasey Ford has come forward, um, I think a bit reluctantly, given, you know, what she saw happen to Anita Hill and others who have come forward in the Me Too time. Um, you know, he talked about how she shouldn't have to go through the scrutiny that she's gone through. He talked about um, pay equity. He talked about... You know, so many things. And I think I think what I loved about that answer is that it really demonstrated his understanding that abortion isn't a separate issue. Right. It's a central issue. It's about how everything else in terms of uh, a, a person's ability to control their reproduction, how that affects everything else in their life. It affects their work life, their education life, what their families look like. I think, I think um, really, Rich really gets that um, abortion access is, is a kitchen table issue, which has been very central to his campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it was terrific that we got the question. Uh, Laura Bischoff with the Dayton Daily News is the reporter. Hero. Uh, Thank you, Laura, if you're listening. That was a hero moment. <laughs> it, it, was, it was remarkable because we've seen uh, in, in the past election cycle, in the presidential election cycle, uh, the, some of the organizations that we work with, reproductive rights organizations, having to basically run ad campaigns to try and get debate moderators to ask the question, to say the word abortion during a, a debate, to get the candidates on the record. Laura Bischoff did that. She asked a very... Uh, well thought out, clear question that not only spoke to nationally what's going on with the Supreme Court, but also the fact that clinics right there in Dayton where the debate was being held are being threatened by uh, John Kasich, um, by Mike DeWine. Yeah, himself <laughs> as yeah. prosecutor, you know, basically serving as the prosecutor of abortion clinics uh, across Ohio, which where he's absolutely abused his authority. Um, you know, he's, he's tried to close clinics, um, like you said, in partnership with um, John Kasich, over administrative things that do not improve 
medical safety and which were designed by them to close clinics. Right. Um, you know, when you when you think about, I think the fundamental to me, the fundamental requirement to be a public servant is to put the health and safety of your constituents first. Yes. On that very basic level, Mike DeWine has disqualified himself from ever being in public office again. Yeah. I mean, he is working to close clinics, which would create a reproductive health care crisis in Ohio that would rival the opioid crisis. I mean, just imagine what it would be like if Roe were gutted or overturned, which, you know, if if Trump and his cronies are able to capture a majority on the Supreme Court, for, could very well happen. And then it comes back to the states. And then you think about Mike DeWine. Being governor, I mean, he said he would sign the six-week ban, which is basically outlawing abortion. I have no, no reservations that he would sign legislation that would criminalize abortion, which is pending in Ohio. House Bill 565 right. would make any abortion for any reason a crime for the person who receives it and anyone involved in providing it and would subject people to life in prison or even the death penalty. And I don't think Mike DeWine would have any qualms about signing that, in part because throughout his entire 42-year career in public service, he has at every turn interfered with access to birth control, sex ed, abortion, all of those very personal, private things about main, you know, what your family's going to look like, what your future's going to look like, your bodily autonomy. He just thinks he should be up in the middle of all of that. Right. And I also think the thing that makes him so dangerous is that because he's been in office for 42 years, he's already had all the jobs. You know, he's been in the Senate, he's been in Congress, he's been in the legislature, he's been AG. Now he would be governor. He would never be facing the voters again. So, you know, this is his last gig. Yeah. I mean, he could do something so terrible that it would be a career render for any other person in politics because... He is not going to be in politics after this. This is his last show. You know, this is his last hurrah. As, you know, as governor, that would be the last stop for him. Right. And I, I don't, just watching him throughout his career, I, ju- I just have no, no reason to think that he wouldn't do that, which is why it was such a stark contrast in that debate to hear him so flippantly say, yeah, you know, I would sign that. And you, you know I would sign that. Right. You know, and then you have the alternative candidate, Rich Cordray giving a thoughtful answer, um, both in terms of the federal landscape, what would happen on the state level, what his role would be, and also his hopes and dreams for his children, that both his son and his daughter would have equal rights across the board in every way. Um, I think, I, I don't think Ohio voters have ever had a more clear choice when it comes to this issue between candidates for something so important. Right. Yeah, you know, Mike DeWine, abortion's been legal for 45 years. DeWine's been in office for 42 years. Wow. And most of that oh time God. he's been working to ban abortion. Yeah, you I know. think he came into office during the centennial. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really long time ago. <laughs> yes, it's... Uh, Were you born? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've, we were joking uh, because we've been putting together different sort of materials to illustrate the, the, the Mike DeWine timeline to show oh all the restrictions. Is it like that a history of the world? And how far back <laughs> all of those 
uh, all of those restrictions have been. And Jamie, uh, our deputy director, pointed out that, you know, for for many of our supporters, it's a question of, you know, when you were in kindergarten, Mike DeWine was in the Senate passing these, you know, passing this bill. That's true. You know, when when <laughs> the year that you were born, here is the abortion restriction that Mike DeWine was voting on. A decade before you were born, here was the, yeah. Right. It's it's been a very long and horrific career that he wants to extend by becoming governor. We do not need another four years of Mike DeWine. We don't need another four minutes of Mike DeWine. If he would kindly resign as attorney general now, I think that would be fine. It's a decent idea. Um, Yeah, otherwise, uh, you know, a a good debate that was put on. um, One of the big points wasn't just uh, what do you think about the Supreme Court? It wasn't just where do you stand uh, on abortion in general? The specific point to Laura Bischoff's question was how do you feel about the six-week abortion ban, the the heartbeat bill is how it's been labeled. Um, Where do you stand on the heartbeat bill? Uh, Cordray came out very clearly and said, listen, you know, I respect a woman's right to choose. I would veto the heartbeat bill. DeWine would sign it. DeWine gave his answer, um, which was, you know, a load of hot garbage. Um, But then Cordray (laughs) got a rebuttal and said, listen, you haven't taken a stand tell us right now yes or no do you you know would you sign this bill and dewine said i would sign the bill he would sign the heartbeat bill well and before he said that you know he did talk about something that that you've talked about a lot which is the role of men in this work um and that you know men need to stand up on this issue you know i appreciated him saying that um and i think that shows um i just think that shows where his disposition is and I know when it when it came to this election, people had a lot of a lot of different favorites throughout um, the very long campaign season through the primaries and other things. Um, But I have to tell you, um, when I think about this election, I don't I don't think about um, I don't think about it so much in a political way. I think about it a lot in terms of the future of my nieces. Um, And, you know, they're they're 17 and 20. Um, you know, what happens with the Supreme Court and this election is going to have a major impact on the kind of reproductive health care that they'll be able to access and where that will be or if it will be um, the kind of control that they'll have over um, their bodies and the, the families and the, and the life that they choose to live. And I have to say, when I think about these decisions being made in Columbus, I know unequivocally that he will not, he will not let my girls down. He will block. No, Uh, Rich Cordray is going to stand there and he's going to block anything that they bring our way to interfere with abortion access. I believe that Um, because I think for him, it's personal as well. I think for him, it's personal as well. Also, I think we can really be sure that Betty Sutton, you know. Oh, my God. Never any question there ever. (laughs) Like, come on. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, Betty Sutton's really, you know, one of our our greatest supporters. The fact that she's, you know, the running mate uh, in this is uh, really reassuring, uh, you know, for, for anybody that had any sort of reservations left over. Betty Sutton's right there. Well, and her endorsement by becoming his running mate 
you know, was was really important, I think, for a lot of people when they decided um, who they voted for um, in the primary, and I think in the general. And, you know, in this, in this era of Me Too, um, you know, more people are coming forward, they're telling their stories of, of sexual assault, rape, sexual harassment, um, domestic violence, and, you know, Betty has talked about her experience. Yes. Um, with that and we haven't know, addressed that on this podcast yet because it came out mm. after the last one we recorded yeah I mean Betty came out and talked about the domestic violence that she experienced in a previous marriage and how um, you know how how personal how intimate how painful that is not just physically but emotionally how difficult that is to move on um, you know past that in your life and you know so it's you know, with these candidates, these issues aren't just political boxes that they're checking. Um, you know, it's not just them, you know, bowing to us as an interest group. Um, you know, this is, this, these are people who really understand the fundamentals of what these issues mean for people's lives, um, what it is to experience these things, what it is to be sexually harassed, what it is to be sexually assaulted, what it is to not be able to control your own body, um, to be abused. Um, you know, they, they understand and they're going to make that a priority. I, you know, I think it also really struck me in the debate when um, both candidates talked about the opioid crisis, which um, for many people, your reproductive life and an opioid crisis are, are one and the same. Um, you know, there are people who, you know, get pregnant and they're addicted to opioids and they, there are not enough treatment centers for them to go. Um, there are not not just pregnant people, but people in general, and this is this is an issue that has really um, challenged our state. That has torn families apart. Thousands of people have died. Still, other thousands of families have been torn apart. Marriages, um, children separated from their parents. Um, this is this has been an incredibly painful issue for for people across this state. And DeWine's response is, well, I have a whatever point plan. I'm like, you have been the attorney general through all of this. And you stood by and done nothing meaningful, nothing impactful for these families. I mean, I just don't know why anyone would, would believe that somehow as governor, he's going to magically transform into someone who can actually take on something serious like an opioid crisis. Um, he, I mean, he talks a good game with all of his plans, but he's been in office 42 years. Right. Like, it's, you should be talking to me about what you've accomplished, what you've done, not what you're going to do. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you, you know, you've mentioned uh, the domestic violence uh, topic. Um, you talked about how Rich Cordray said that men need to stand up. Uh, someone else this week who said that men need to stand up is Senator Maisie Hirano uh, from Hawaii uh, discussing the Kavanaugh allegations. She said men need to shut up and stand up. Uh, pretty great quote from her. Uh, well, talking she's, about what's going on in, in Congress right now. Well, and, you know, look, she has been uncovering a lot of issues throughout this confirmation process in terms of Kavanaugh's um, disturbing views um, on indigenous people 
and their rights under the Constitution. You know, she talked about the rights of um, Hawaiians and um, how Kavanaugh doesn't really respect those. And I think she was giving a little message to her colleague in Alaska saying, hey, hey, um, the uh, indigenous people in Alaska aren't going to fare any better under this guy than the Hawaiian people. Right. And um, uh, by the by, they helped you get elected. So you might want to um, dial in on that and see what's going on there. Um, there are so many reasons why this this nominee is troubling. And, you know, I think it's always you have to really look at why someone's trying to pretend to be something. I mean, from the very beginning when they rolled out Brett Kavanaugh, it was, you know, there was this you know fairy tale that they were creating like, oh, he's a champion for women. You know, he coaches basketball and all of these things. And and, you know, I kind of watched that and I was like, hmm. Why are, why are they doing this? And I thought, well, you know, because probably Roe, you know, because we're going to, you know, the issues that, you know, um, primarily, you know, are associated with women's organizations and feminism like abortion are going to be coming forward. And I thought, well, maybe that was it. But, you know, I do kind of wonder if that wasn't um, them trying to soften the ground because they knew that there had been inappropriate uh, behavior from Kavanaugh. I mean, certainly, you know, he knows what he's done. Right. And, you know, for for someone like Dr. Christine Blasey Ford to come forward, um, I mean, he had to have known that that was that was a potential um, that that would come out potentially and and what that might look like. I think that's why they had they had this letter that like 65 women signed saying he's a nice guy. And now they're like trying to like call these women back and they're like, "Mm, my phone doesn't work now. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to answer the phone now. Yeah, the 65 women who were standing up for Kavanaugh now were mostly recanting that. Yeah, and you know to, you know, and okay, you know, obviously now if you're if you watch uh, cable news, you're going to recognize some of the things I say. But and a lot of people have said, listen, um, you know, it's about. When you, when you look at judges on the court, it's not just their judicial philosophy or what they might do. It's also the reputation of the court. Right. It is the last court in the land. If it is seen as political, as partisan, as um, not fair, as not being a place where you'll get a fair hearing on your case no matter what, um, that then the legitimacy of the court is compromised. And that, I mean, that's a serious problem in a, a democracy with the separation of powers that we have. And I mean, we could potentially, if Kavanaugh is, um, is confirmed, we could have two members of the court who have, who have faced serious allegations of sexual harassment or assault sitting on that court. And, you know, as a, as a woman, two out of, two out of nine. Right. Well, it's it's it would be two out of six guys, so it's one third of the male members of the court. Oh God! Yeah, God, that's even that makes it feel even worse. Yeah. I I just I hope that you know as as people are following this that they continue to call their senators. I I know in Ohio, you know Portman, he introduced Brett. Oh, he's such a great guy. He's a friend of mine. Well. I hope you're ashamed of yourself, um, Senator Portman. And I think Senator uh, Brown shared saw right through it, um, you know, from the beginning. I mean, he heard him out, but he saw through it. But I really think that we need to give the allegations that Dr. Ford brought forward a fair hearing, not just a hearing, but an investigation. You know, when they investigated 
the allegations from uh, Professor Hill in the 90s, it only took a couple of days. We're not talking about major stonewalling or delays. We're talking about looking into a serious criminal activity right? Um, for someone who would be in the highest court on the land. And, you know, a I, lifetime appointment. I mean, you know, you're yeah. talking about delaying a, a decades long judgeship. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, by a couple days. And this is from the same sure Senate who was like, like, oh, Merrick terrible. Garland? No, no, no. We, we're going to have to delay that for months and months and months and months because, right. you know, it's an election year. And now, I mean, they just, you know, they create the rules whenever they want them to be. And, you know, I at one point in my life, I was a JC. And, you know, one of the things they always say in the JCs is that we're a government of laws, not of men. It means you don't change the law. To suit your own individual situation, your circumstance. And that's really what Mitch McConnell in the Senate has tried to do. One set of uh, standards for, for everyone else, another for themselves, whatever seems to work to, to get them the, the, Senate, um, the Senate that they want, the Supreme Court that they want, whatever that is. And it's, frankly, it's an embarrassment you know, to, you know, to someone who claims to be a patriot to treat their, their government and their laws with such little disregard, right. um, to have to, to basically cheat and lie to, to win. Um, honestly, there, there's no honor in that. And there's, there's no honor in refusing a very, um, a very modest request. Right. Well, you know, I, I think the game that Mitch McConnell's playing is the members of Congress understand how terrible Trump is, but they don't want to do anything uh, about it. They don't want to move, you know, on impeachment when they could. They don't want to hold Trump accountable because they don't want to anger their base. And so if they can put in a Supreme Court justice who will do that dirty work for them, uh, that, you know, that will cover for Trump for them, then they don't have to have that on their hands. Oh, it's the Supreme Court over there letting Trump off the hook. Well, and conservatives, I mean, they got behind Trump uh, no matter what allegations came out against him because they wanted to capture the court. They have been working for 45 years to do this. They're not going to let anything stand in their way. Um, You know, they proved that when they got behind Trump, um, you know, and I think that that's the way they're trying to have it with Kavanaugh. I think that's why it's so important that that people, they make a phone call, they write a postcard, they send an email, that they tweet. and and, They confirm their voter registration now instead of waiting until after the voter registration deadline. Yes. MyOhioVote.com, confirm your voter registration. Seriously, if you don't vote this year, uh, screw you. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I, you know, sometimes I, when, when people talk about that, I, I feel a little like Jerry Maguire. I'm like, help me help you. Right. Please register to vote. Please vote. And um, please send a note of support. Uh, hashtag Dear Professor Ford. I just can't imagine what she and her family are going through right now. Right. Um, it's, it's, she shouldn't, we should not particularly after, you know, we've had some months as a country to kind of look at the behaviors of the patriarchy through the Me Too lens. I mean, come on. This is, and we're still doing it. No one's learned a thing. Um, I think we can change that with the vote, though. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, Sherrod, you mentioned Sherrod Brown. uh, Definitely uh, has has, uh, made it clear that he will be opposing the Kavanaugh nomination. Um, we've noted that he did take some time to look into Kavanaugh. He gave him, you know, an honest 
you know, an honest look, sat down with them, had conversations, um, met with women that we work with through different organizations, uh, heard from them about their concerns about Brett Kavanaugh and understood that there's too many unanswered questions about what Kavanaugh would do. There's too many uh, spots in his record that show that he wouldn't be making the best decision for Ohioans. You know, Sherrod Brown's is always looking out for working people. Yeah. Um, uh, and so that was, I think, the primary factor in his opposition to Kavanaugh. Um, but, you know, he's been a terrific champion uh, for reproductive rights. Uh, and, you know, the threat to Roe is far too great um, to allow Kavanaugh to, to just get this nomination without opposition. Okay, sounds good. Well, thanks for your time, Kelly. Oh, you know, thank you. I am a regular listener to the podcast and and uh, always always uh, participating in my car when I listen, but you guys can't hear me, so <laughs> it's so nice to, to actually be able to participate. Okay, we'll see everybody next week. <laughs> Ciao. Bye.